So if we don't address the misconception of career gaps, what we're actually doing is placing barriers in front of the very people we're trying to attract to grow more diverse organizations. Hi, and welcome to the New Rules of Business by Chief. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan, and we're the co-founders of Chief, the network of the most powerful women in business. Each episode, we unravel complex business trends and challenge preconceived notions of leadership. And today, we are talking about the gap. Yes, the gap. Perfect. I need new jeans. Not that gap, but great joke, Lindsay. Career gaps. (laughs) You know, the interesting thing is that most people today do have at least one break in their career journey, whether that's because they needed to support loved ones, look out for their physical or mental health, or try something different, or because they were laid off due to market turbulence or uncertainty. Having a career gap on your resume was a deal breaker for many hiring managers and may still be to some, but why do we have this negative connotation and is it actually hurting our businesses to not just consider those with gaps, but actually welcome them? Always asking the hard-hitting questions. Well, you know, I did fancy myself to be a journalist once, so maybe I will take a gap and pursue a new passion. You're always trying to leave me, or at least maybe trying to take over this podcast. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) let's dive in. So today on the podcast, we have Jennifer Carpenter, who is the Vice President of Talent Acquisition and Executive Search at IBM and is a chief member. Thanks for joining us, Jennifer. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So we're really excited to have you on because we wanted to talk about career gaps and in particular, the re-entry program that was developed at IBM. 63% of professionals have experienced a career gap. And obviously, a lot of those like common reasons why people have them are caregiving responsibilities, illness, layoffs. What are some other reasons outside of that that people might have career gaps that are less known? Well, I think people naturally assume it's only women who experience a career gap. Now, while we are, I'm speaking as a woman here, the majority of those that typically have career gaps, we're certainly not the only ones. Whether men are increasingly serving as caregivers in the home, the elder care that you were referring to of taking care of our aging parents, our nieces and nephews, there's a financial component of this. Oftentimes, people have to step out of their desired career for jobs. Mm. I might aspire on a particular path, but I need to make ends meet for my family. So you also take detours in jobs that might not make sense, particularly in the context of a career conversation in an interview, or something here doesn't look like the others. Why were you a software developer and then started working in restaurants? So I think what I try to challenge at IBM is the unconscious bias. We just assume people are going to show up looking a certain way with a very traditional path. We often think, too, that inconsistency in a career journey might also be a symbol of unreliability, which certainly is not the case. But, you know, I think that's the fear of anybody that has a career gap. It's like, what do you say when you're asked that very common question of, you know, when was your last job and what have you been doing since? 
It gets really hard when it's more than a year or two and it's more like 10 years. I mean, what do you say? And it really becomes a deal breaker for a lot of people. What are concerns that employers have about candidates with career gaps? And are any of them justified? Well, I alluded to that bias, that consistency in a career story implies reliability. I think back to my days at Delta Airlines. I had a two-year layover at Delta, I like to say. Enjoyed every minute of it. Very clever. (laughs) But think about pilot hiring. Now, we certainly want our pilots to show up on time, to be incredibly consistent and reliable. So what happens then when you may see a resume come past your desk where someone has a gap? Some hiring practices might be like, use that as knockout criteria. Keep it simple, right? You get a lot of resumes, use that as knockout criteria. Right. Well, Delta looked at it a little differently, particularly when they were trying to open up the aperture to more profiles of people that may have taken a non-traditional route to securing their hours in the air. Maybe they started in the military, then finished in a private setting. But certainly, if you approached those applicants as any gap, even as little as a month or two, forget about a year or two, would signal unreliability, you would be discounting a lot of amazing candidates. And what we saw, too, is a high proportion of them being diverse candidates, Mm. being women, being candidates from other underrepresented groups. So if we don't address the misconception of career gaps, what we're actually doing is placing barriers in front of the very people we're trying to attract to grow more diverse organizations. Uh, That's such a huge point that organizations say that they value diversity and equity and inclusion. And that really does start in reevaluating every aspect of the hiring process, even ones that may on the outset not seem like they are keeping people out. But that certainly does. That's right. It's so often that you hear companies talk about these qualifications of needing a four-year degree and everything else. But I haven't heard as many people talk about the challenge of trying to get more representation into these roles, how much like the career gap could actually play into some of the challenges of building that pipeline for themselves. It's often, I think, overlooked as a barrier. Absolutely. And if there's one thing organizations, now I would say IBM is not one of them, but in general is we're really good at putting up dumb barriers (laughs) that prevent skilled people from accessing opportunity. And that's something that my boss, who heads culture and transformation, Obed Louis-Saint, says a lot of times, right? Look for the dumb barriers, remove them, knock them down. I'm constantly looking at where are we introducing those deal breakers instead of conversation starters? Because as a leader, I'm endlessly curious. I'm maybe even a little bit nosy. I want to hear everybody's stories. Tell me what you've done. Tell me what's unique about you. But oftentimes we design practices, many of which are in the hiring space, that prevent people from even engaging with us in a conversation. So we are certainly skills first. We've been skills first for a long time. Only 50% of our jobs right now even require a college degree at IBM. We're constantly trying to look at people as people instead of pieces of paper, And more and more organizations are joining that bandwagon, and it's for good reason, right? It's not all to do good. It's also because we need to think about talent very differently, or we're not going to be successful as organizations. 
Do you have a story about somebody that turned a career gap into a huge positive? On the home front, while I had the three kids and certainly had my maternity leaves, I birthed the babies and handed them over to my husband, who took 10 years of his own career gap to help us navigate the family. He's now a family therapist, so he took those 10 years of raising those those kids and dealing with the struggles of parenting and dealing with me into his own career story. But I see hundreds of them at IBM, absolutely hundreds. And it may not even be the career gap like we're talking about in the traditional sense, like I took two years off to help homeschool my kids during COVID or care for an elderly parent. It's just people that took a really interesting route to get to where they are. Mm. We've got a story, a gentleman named Tony down in Raleigh, North Carolina. For years, he was the barista in the IBM coffee shop. And he was interested in pursuing software development as a career. And he just got to talking to IBMers and he joined our apprenticeship program, earned and learned, almost immediately tripled his salary. So, you know, there's some goodness there. But more importantly, four years later, he's thriving at IBM, introduced to a technology path that he didn't even think that he had access to. Mm-hmm. In terms of tech reentry, we see a lot of women who are out of the workforce for like 10 years, who are coming back. I've got one story where a woman came back after a 10-year career gap, largely taking time off to raise her family, introduced to IBM through the tech reentry program, and is now working in our quantum team and was recently presented with an IBM Inventor Award. Wow. All we can do is give an opportunity. It's a two-way street. We give an opportunity, maybe not for purely selfless reasons. We see something. We see that potential. And then many more times than not, these individuals far exceed expectations because they have had such an interesting background. They come from non-traditional paths. They've shown how resourceful they are, how adaptable they are. They bring such a wide array of experiences that benefit us. Wow, those are some amazing success stories. And I especially love Tony's from barista to engineer. So tell us how the tech reentry program at IBM works and how it all got started. Well, it got started for many of the reasons we've already discussed. We saw a problem Mm -hmm. and we needed to think of creative ways, resourceful ways of addressing it. In short, it is a paid returnship And you earn and learn, much like Tony did in the apprentice program that I talked about. It's designed to meet people where they are. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. We're innately curious about our candidates, including those that engage with this program. So it's highly customized to the individual. But most importantly, it's helping to close the unique gap that they're bringing to IBM and then set them up to be successful, not just in the returnship program, but beyond that into IBM as a, you know, a full-fledged thriving IBMer. Some other story I I heard recently was someone who took 10 years off to work on her family farm. Wow. So she wasn't necessarily caring for her own chicks. (laughs) She was caring for someone else's chicks. (laughs) But she applied to the program and is now a senior cloud software developer. So again, we just assume maybe even our our own bias that these are women coming to us after a couple of years or caring for their children. But here's someone who took 10 years helping her family out on the farm because for whatever reason in her own family history, that was needed right then and there. 
And she probably never assumed during those 10 years that she could apply those farming (laughs) years to propel her to be a cloud software developer. This is like infused into the fabric of our hiring practices and is just one of a number of new collar programs that we have. We've kind of coined this term of new collar, meaning we have to redefine what a great candidate looks like. And it's not necessarily the candidates that came from the prestigious programs with four-year college degrees. It's people that come from non-traditional tributaries, right? I think about this flow of talent that comes into IBM every day, and they're not necessarily coming from where you would expect. So our job is to really think about how do we assess the skills that they're bringing, the motivation and the aptitude, align them with an apprenticeship program or align them even with internship programs. And internship programs are not only for students in four-year college programs. We even have an IBM Accelerate program that gets people ready for an internship program. So we're really reaching into the talent supply and pulling people up rather than assuming candidates are coming to us fully formed. I know so many women who early in their careers settled down, had kids, and they found it more cost-effective to take a break early in their career rather than pay for childcare. And this is really, you know, before they kind of got experienced super early. What's some advice you would give women who are now exploring coming back in, knowing that there are just more challenges without having that kind of interesting background that they took a gap from? Yeah. Well, I can certainly relate that in my own personal life. You're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to engage in conversation. And you're going to, in some ways, have to be a bit resourceful and scrappy to show how what you have to offer is far greater than the minimum basic qualifications on a job description. It's important to know what those are, but there are ways in which you can jump over these dumb barriers that I talked about. Yep. One idea, and it's it's in my own backyard, but there are plenty of these types of programs. IBM offers a skill build program. These are mini credentials that are conversation starters. Hey, I just got a credential in data science, in AI, in project management, in marketing. These programs are becoming almost omnipresent, right? They're on LinkedIn learning. Some cost money, some are free, but they're all ways in which we can build skill show your curiosity, show you're resourceful and a little scrappy, and you're curious. These types of behaviors open up the door to conversations. And then that really is the first step. It's showing that you're a person with a story to tell beyond just your piece of paper, your resume or your CV. So if you haven't been thinking about how do I start conversations with companies, I would encourage you to engage with the learning that is available to you now. We have so much more access now than we did even 10 years ago. Credentials are a real thing that recruiters look for and network, right? Get on LinkedIn, understand people that you would be really interested in learning from and who you think would be interested in learning from you too and reach out. You never know who may respond. IBM is, of course, known for being an inventive company. So how does IBM think about diversity as it relates to innovation? Countless research studies have shown the most high-performing organizations are those with the highest level of diversity. And diversity isn't simply based on what we see, our gender, our race, our ethnicity, but it's 
Did you come from a two-parent family? Did you come from a single-parent family? Did you come from a rural setting, an urban setting? Did you live internationally? Were your family in the military? Imagine all the richness of the tapestry of experiences. But if leaders only think going to one campus or build slates with one type of person on those slates leads to success for your companies, we're sadly mistaken. So IBM leads in the sense that diversity comes from all different ways of thinking. And we do, I think, a pretty good job, and I wake up every day hoping to do an even better job, making sure that we're attracting and selecting brilliantly based on the richness of the stories people have to share with us. Obviously, it would be amazing if more companies were doing this. What do you think are the success factors of what you built that others can take as they think about opportunities for them to build something similar? Sure. Three things come to mind, and I love alliteration, so bear with me here. The three C's, community, connection with leaders, and customized learning paths. So let's start with building community. I would highly recommend anyone thinking about a program like this, build a cohort, because that sense of belonging and helping one another out, especially when you're blazing a path through untraditional means or non-traditional means, that sense of belonging amongst the participants has been a success factor. Connecting with leaders. It's not enough to build the community within the cohort. You need advocates in the company. Because sometimes, as hard as we may try, participants in these types of programs might be othered. Oh, there are returnship talent. Oh, those are our apprentices. And inevitably, bias might creep in. So you need trusted leaders within the organization who can serve as advocates and, quite frankly, dispel misconceptions. People who are trusted within the organization just to make it a little bit easier to knock down those dumb barriers we talked about earlier. And then lastly, customized learning paths. One size does not fit all. People come to us from the farms, from their roles as caregivers, from maybe taking some time off to try different careers on for size. They come to us with all sorts of backgrounds. So everything should really be customized to the individual so that they are engaged, successful for what they need to be successful versus kind of that lockstep. Everybody goes through the same learning because nobody is showing up at the same level. Everybody is showing up with different levels of prior knowledge and backgrounds. And we can learn just as much from the participants as they can learn from us. So this is the new rules of business. I have to ask if you could write a new rule for business, any rule that would make it easier for people and businesses to navigate career gaps, what would it be? Oh, I love that. Well, I hearken back to that look for dumb barriers that prevent skilled people from assessing opportunity and knock them down. But that doesn't necessarily fit nicely on the needlepoint pillow. So if I was going to get my needlepoint out... Listen, it could be a long rule. <laughs> it's a billboard. It's a billboard. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, the other question that we always love to ask on this podcast is, uh, what is the best piece of leadership advice or the worst you've ever received? When I think back on my own journey, I've said yes more times than I've said no. Mm. So my best advice I would give others is think about that. Are you giving chances to people 
who have the potential to do a great job. You're not sure about it, but you just know they have the potential, especially if they're given a little help. Yeah. Do you have a worst piece of leadership advice? You know, I had a leader once when I really wanted to do more and I was really excited and I had lots of ideas kind of put me in a corner and say, keep your head down, work hard and wait your turn. And unfortunately, I listened to that person for a couple of years Mm. and I probably stayed a little bit too long at that party. Trust your own gut and don't stay too long at any party. It makes for a very, very boring story. (laughs) Know when to exit. (laughs) That's right. Leave them wanting more. (laughs) Thanks for being a part of Chief. We're just really happy that you are working on something so critical to building a diverse workforce and being thoughtful around people taking gaps for whatever reason that they need to, whether it's caregiving, whether it's mental health, whether it's education. So thank you for doing all of the incredible work at IBM. Well, I have fun doing it and I would be remiss as the head of talent acquisition at IBM if I didn't say connect with me on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. And uh, maybe we'll see you around the clubhouse. Oh, I'd love that. (laughs) Take care. That was Jennifer Carpenter, Vice President of Talent Acquisition and Executive Search at IBM. It was such a pleasure to hear from her on this challenge. I really like how she emphasized that career reentry programs aren't just a nice thing to do. Uh, Listeners, Carolyn is putting air quotes around nice. (laughs) We don't call anyone or anything just nice around here. Thank you for the interlude and clarification, Lindsay. As I was saying, it's not just quote unquote nice. It actually makes business sense to pull people with career gaps and non-traditional backgrounds into your talent pool. You know, corporate culture definitely has a preferential bias for elite backgrounds, be it scanning the resume for the right school or the right company. But what innovation and divergent thinking are we missing out on by dismissing people who haven't taken the traditional path? Right? Like if you say your company is committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and yet you're still passing over candidates just because they have a gap on their resume, then you're not actually walking the walk. Exactly. Re-entry programs like the one at IBM should truly be a part of every company's DEI strategy. And the bonus is that through these programs, you can train people who really understand your company's way of working. And that means you get better performance and less turnover. Yeah. And just remember those three C's, community, connection, and customized learning paths. Build a cohort of people so no one feels like they have to take this journey alone. Connect with advocates who can help change the conversation and remove the stigma and customize the opportunities you offer because one size doesn't fit all. Kind of like my gap jeans. Again, Lindsay, we are not talking about that gap. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all for this episode of The New Rules of Business. Don't miss out on all of our chief content. You can get more episodes by following the show on your favorite podcast app. And if you're more of a social media person, find us and join the conversation on LinkedIn. But if you're ready to up the ante and you're thinking about becoming a member of the Chief Network, head to our website, chief.com, where you can apply. As a member, you'll be connected with the world's most powerful network of executive women. Thanks, Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Mercy Harper, Blaine Edens at Chief. 
and to our production team, Pod People. Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Danielle Roth, Madison Lusby, Hannah Pedersen, and Michael Aquino. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan. Thanks for listening. Thank you.